Hello, this is Apostle Corey Douglas with Zion Ministries, welcoming you to another verse-by-verse Bible study on the book of Romans. Praise God. We're in Romans chapter number two. We will continue our study at verse number three. Again, that is Romans chapter number two, verse number three. And it reads, And thinkest thou this, O man, that judgeth them which do such things, and does the same, that thou or you shall escape the judgment of God. And again, Apostle Paul, I really believe by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was targeting uh, a certain doctrine of demon, a mental stronghold. You know, Second Corinthians chapter 10, along verse 4 and 5, uh, the Bible speaks about the weapons of our warfare uh, are mighty through God to the pulling down the strongholds. Okay, And as you do it, a careful word study of, of those couple of verses, you'll find that the strongholds are philosophies, ideologies, uh, imaginations, doctrines, and uh, thought patterns that are uh, instituted um, in the minds of those who believe. And so I believe that the Spirit of God is targeting a mindset in verse number three that robs daily believers of what the Bible calls the fear of the Lord. Okay, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, but the Bible says that fools despise knowledge and understanding. And one of the primary ways that the enemy, uh, tools that he would use to rob us of the fear, the reverence, the respect, the terror of the Lord, is shifting our attention off of the condition of our spirit, soul, and body, uh, our responsibility to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Um, and he would love to uh, get us in a position of self-righteousness to where we're more conscious of the do's, the don'ts, the faults, the, you know, the, uh, imperfections, the sins of others, rather than uh, making it a priority to keep our own self in order as it relates to his word, his will, his nature, his character in this way. And so verse 3, he deals with a, a mindset. And again, he, sh- he shifts the attention back off of others, back onto introspection to each hearer of what he is sharing and he's basically saying to make sure that in that thing that we condemn that we judge or that we critique or punish or hold against or send us another in we have to make sure that we ourselves are totally clear of those same things as well or we ourselves would not escape the judgment of God, okay, uh, either. Verse 4, this is where we left off. Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth to repentance, okay? And we were talking about uh, despising um, the goodness of God and the importance of not despising God's goodness. I believe that 
all true change, all true repentance, all true transformation deals with a revelation of the goodness, okay, the goodness of God. I do, I do not believe it. It is a coincidence that the word gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, means good news. And when you look at the word good and goodness, okay, you're dealing with the same nature, the same virtue, and the same character. And so ultimately, the goodness of God is revealed through the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the revelation of Jesus Christ is not just knowledge-based, but it's also experiential, and it's life-changing as well. Okay? And so as we deal with the goodness of God leading man to repentance, uh, starting or having a foundation and what I believe, the giving of God's Son, the revelation of Jesus Christ, um, you know, I don't really believe that we can behold the goodness of God the Father outside of the revelation of His Son. And so when we despise that, or another word for despise, remember, is to think little of or to think nothing of. And that other definition was to disesteem or to think against, okay? And you may say, well, okay, how can I be against goodness? How can I, am I really against the goodness of God? Am I really against the gospel of Jesus Christ, okay? It is possible to be against the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ um, when we believe the lie, when we reject the truth when we despise the goodness of God, okay? Um, agreeing with God's love is more than agreeing with John 3:16. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's more than just saying, I believe it and I agree. But it's allowing uh, the nature and the spirit of that love through the giving of his son to encounter you, to enrapture you, to impact you. It's opening your heart to receive not just the sound of the gospel, but the power of the gospel as it is revealed through the love of God and the giving of his son, Jesus Christ. I believe that that is the supreme and primary encounter with his goodness. And I believe that once a person is impacted by the goodness of God through the revelation of Jesus Christ, that that goodness does not just stop there, but it continues to increase in our knowledge and our experience as we see Jesus clearer, as we gain more revelation of who he is, as we fall more in love with his person, we experience more of his goodness. And in turn, that begins to lead us to repentance. So let's move on down uh, and dig deeper into Romans chapter number 2, verse number 4. Or despises the riches of his goodness and forbearance. If you're listening, I just want you to say this word out loud, forbearance, because it is a very, very important word as it relates to the context of this particular scripture. So the riches of God's goodness is despised, but we don't hear a lot about this word forbearance. And so as we look closer in this word forbearance, uh, it has one definition that I specifically want to bring out, and it is pronounced uh, longanimity, long-a-nimity, 
So that is L is in leaf, the word long, A-N-I-M-I-T-Y, okay? Longanimity. Now, this is not a word that we use every day, and, and probably perhaps without a word search, you know, none of us would really know what this word actually means, but it has a very, very, I believe, uh, spot-on definition of what the author of Romans chapter number 2, verse 4, is seeking to communicate up under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in context of what we're talking about. And this particular word is the heart of forbearance, and it paints a beautiful picture. And what longanimity means is a disposition to bear injuries patiently. Okay? A disposition to bear injuries patiently. If you can say that with me, a disposition, a disposition to bear injuries patiently. And so let's look at this in context of this definition. It is saying in verse number four that the goodness is given to us from God, but it is also emphasizing in Romans 2, 4, that the forbearance is coming from God as well. And so when we look at this in light of the, the context of the scripture, it is saying that daily as it relates to our actions, the choices of man and our deeds, that we are injuring God through sin and disobedience. And God in his forbearance or his longanimity takes a position toward us to where he patiently bears and endures the pain that we cause him when we sin against him. Okay? That is forbearance. Okay? A disposition. And this is a beautiful, a beautiful description of the love of God. It's important to understand the context of this verse and everything that Paul covered in Romans chapter number 2 and even the first chapter and going on down that these things hurt God to the core of his nature and of his being, you know, with love. But in his love, he patiently endures or bears and puts up with the injuries that we cause to his heart through our actions, okay? And so forbearance is someone continuing to love you when you hurt them. It's someone continuing to patiently put up with what you're doing and bear with what we're doing in this context, God even after we injure them repetitively, okay, they patiently bear it, okay? And I don't believe that there's a greater expression of love, you know, other than this, and this is the core of what should lead us to repentance. When we look at the fact that uh, the many times that, you know, we may have sinned against God, rebelled against God, disobeyed God, transgressed against God, 
And sometimes we just look at those things as, as law-based, and we just say, okay, well, I sinned. And sin is the transgression of the law. But I don't believe that we look deeper at the fact that in in our deeds and in our actions that when there is willful transgression that we actually injure our Father. We actually injure our Creator. Okay? And yet and still in His love, He forbears it. And He patiently endures that injury because He loves us. Okay? Uh, instead of destroying us, instead of banishing us, instead of condemning us, instead of annihilating us with the sovereignty and the fullness of his power, he patiently endures it. Okay? And so we shouldn't despise the riches of his grace and of his glory. Okay? And in context of this verse, when he emphasized that it is the goodness of God that leadeth a man to repentance, let's dig a little deeper. Uh, because I believe verse 4 is a game changer if we really see it in the right light. So he's saying that when God patiently endures injuries, that there are those who do not see that as an expression of love instead of being grateful, instead of being thankful, instead of being enough to say, hey, that's love. And instead of being convicted of their ways, um, and pricked in their conscience, some just continue to injure and injure and injure and injure and injure. And in that, they are despising his goodness. In other words, it's almost as if uh, they're seeking to take advantage of him and to, uh, to use him, okay, and to, to play him. And so what happens is, when they're the despising of the goodness and forbearance of God, and this word says, and long-suffering. We know what long-suffering is. It means also that it implies uh, to hurt or to suffer uh, an extent for a long time. And so not knowing the goodness of God leadeth a man to repentance as we begin to deal with this last phase uh, of this particular verse, I want to bring out the definition of this word leadeth, because this word lead means to lay hold of. And here's the beautiful part about this definition. It means to, um, to bring to a point of destination, okay? to lay hold of and to bring to a point of destination. And so we have to allow the goodness of God to lay hold of us. We have to allow the riches of his goodness to lay hold of us. We have to allow forbearance to lay hold of us. We have to allow the fact that he is long-suffering. There are three things that we have to look at, his goodness, his forbearance, and his long-suffering. And we can't just acknowledge that these three things exist. We can't just say, yeah, God is good. Yeah, God is long for Yes, God forbearance. But no, 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 no. We have to stop and meditate on these three expressions of his nature that he is releasing over us daily. 
And we have to really take a, a deep introspection of our life. And one of the things that stops us from really experiencing and seeing the goodness, the long-suffering, the forbearance of God is when we pretend as if or we carry on as if we ourselves are sinless or righteous apart from his grace or without fault or without our own uh, debt when it comes to sin. And if the enemy can get me to, again, to just focus on, in verse 3, judging others, uh, thinking about others and critiquing others and trying to conclude in my own mind what somebody else deserves or what they don't deserve, then he can divert the attention off of the goodness of God, the forbearance of God, the long-suffering that's been shown toward me. Okay? And, and it is a strategy to stop man from changing or being led to the proper destination. Now, make no mistake about it. There's not a person that is born into this world. As the Bible says that we are born into sin, and we are shaping in iniquity. There is no one that is born into this world uh, apart from Jesus Christ himself, who is the Son of God, who is God in the flesh. There is no one who is born into this world that does not have a God destination of repentance, okay, that does not need to be laid hold of by goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, and does not need to realize and recognize their need to be guided to this place or this point of destination called repentance, okay? Uh, everyone needs to uh, really has to at some point see their need to repent of their sins. But the problem is is that the lights are off and we cannot see our need to repent and we can't uh, we, we can't even see our condition and state unless we look at his goodness, unless we fully and properly observe his long-suffering, and unless we fully, fully acknowledge his forbearance with us in the times and in the moments where we have injured God with our sin and with our transgressions, okay? And so the revelation of his goodness is based upon the full recognition of those three things. And at that point, instead of uh, snatching our arm away or turning our back toward, toward his goodness, uh, we surrender, you know, in humble recognition. Uh, and at times in shame and in conviction, we surrender to goodness and long-suffering and forbearance. And instead of fighting and looking at others, we say, Lord, I am that man. I am that woman. You know, I'm the one that that needs this change. You have been good to me. You have been forbearing toward me. You have been long-suffering toward me. And so I acknowledge my need to tread the path of repentance and to move down this path and to be laid hold of by these three virtues and to be brought to the point of destination called repentance. Praise God. Repentance. And so as we move on down, you guys, as it relates to the goodness of God that leadeth a man, never forces a man, uh, never coerces a man, uh, never manipulates a man, uh, always gives man free will and choice and option. But the 
these three virtues will only lead. That's all that they do. They only lead to the degree that an honest heart is willing to acknowledge their need to, to, to change and to go to this place, and they are willing to be obedient, praise God, to the leading, okay, to the degree that they're obedient to follow in this particular path, praise God. This word repentance, you guys, means a compunction. This is the definition that I want to bring out, a compunction for guilt, okay, Compunction, C-O-M-P-U-N-C-T-I-O-N, compunction. If you're listening, just say that out loud, compunction for guilt, including reformation, okay, or to reform, okay, reformation. All right. Now, compunction is another word that we typically, we don't use as often, okay, but compunction is a feeling of guilt or moral scruple that prevents or follows the doing of something bad, okay? So it's guilt that we feel when we do something bad, okay? Or when we do something wrong morally. There's a degree of guilt that we should feel that comes with true repentance, okay? Not all guilt is of darkness, you know? Sometimes guilt is just a part of justice, praise God. Either you're innocent or you're guilty. You did it or you didn't. Either you're responsible or you're not. So you can't have innocence without guilt, praise God. And you can't have guilt without the ability to be innocent. These are just judicial terms that exist, not just in this world, but also in the courts of heaven. And so when we do wrong and when we do bad, okay, even with uh, the desire to leave the place of transgression and to go to the place of repentance as a um, as a you know having an encounter with forbearance, long suffering, or goodness, then the desire to leave the condition that we're in in our mind and our heart and our spirit, okay, comes with that comes a recognition that I have done wrong or I have done bad not only a recognition in our mind, but also a feeling of guilt, okay, because we have done wrong, because we have done bad, and because we have transgressed, okay. The beautiful thing about repentance and the guilt, the compunction for guilt that comes with that is that it is not a guilt that leads to annihilation, excommunication, condemnation, or eternal damnation. If we allow ourselves to properly relate to it, it is a healthy kind of guilt that makes us take accountability for our wrongdoing. And if we're willing to focus on his goodness, his forbearance, and also his long-suffering, this guilt will lead us to a good destination, change, or a place called repentance. Okay? So that is the definition of our word compunction, compunction for guilt. Uh, another definition that I want to bring out about compunction it means an anxiety arising from awareness of guilt, okay? Wow, that is very, very interesting. An anxiety that arises from the awareness of guilt, okay? Now, I do believe that when it comes to repentance and when it comes to sin, and I, I believe that, you know, when we have done wrong, that there should be a sense of urgency to do right, okay? Once we behold his goodness, his long-suffering, and his forbearance, okay? You can kind of hear it 
uh, in the voice of the Apostle Paul, as we will go on later in the book of Romans, oh, wretched man that I am. That didn't sound very low-key. That sounded very uh, kind of like anxious. That sounded very dramatic, very uh, like a cry out, like, hey, you know, I messed up. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? And so there's a degree of anxiety arising from the awareness of guilt of his wretchedness. And so we deal with Isaiah chapter 6, okay? What was it to me? For I'm a man of unclean lips. If you read that scripture, you can hear a degree of anxiety arising within him as he is aware of his condition of guilt, of his sin, of the uncleanness of his lips. This is, again, repentance happening and coming, okay? And at the awareness of guilt, this will arise whenever and wherever there is true repentance. But remember, this guilt and this awareness doesn't lead to death and a person giving up and moving on deep in darkness. It leadeth a man, praise God, unto a destination of change and transformation that looks more God and Christ-like in the end. Okay? A third definition for compunction. This is still the word of repentance that we're digging deeper to understand according to context. Is compunction implies, listen to this, a spontaneous feeling of responsibility, okay? A spontaneous feeling of responsibility. So in true repentance, there is no denial, okay, that I am a man. There is no blame shifting. There is no blaming others. There's no pointing the fingers. There's no, uh, there's no debate. There's no, you know, taking part responsibility but it implies a spontaneous feeling of responsibility, okay? And then it says, or compassion for a potential victim. Now, this is so important because in this particular verse, in the context, God himself becomes the victim of our actions, of, of our sins, okay? Because remember, according to the definition of forbearance, okay, the forbearance of God, the definition was longanimity. And it meant a disposition to bear injuries patiently, okay? So the, the one that's injured is the victim, the one that's being hurt, the one that's patiently bearing. And so repentance comes when we realize that, praise God, we have compassion on God in the sense that we realize that what we are doing is hurting him, that we are literally injuring God. We are victimizing the creator, which is God himself, because we know what his nature stands for, and we transgress, listen, against him. Praise God. And anytime you transgress against someone, you hurt them. Okay? Remember this. Let me give you context. When the apostle Paul was converted, as he was on his way to kill Christians and then his sin, the Lord appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, Jesus said, listen to this, why persecuteth thou me? Why are you hurting me? Okay? Why are you hurting me? Why are you injuring me? Why are you hurting me? Okay. And so in that verse, God begins to reveal that he can be hurt. He can be injured, even by those who believe in him. Okay. Paul said, who art thou, Lord? Okay. I am Jesus whom you persecuted. It's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It was the revelation of God's goodness long-suffering and forbearance to the Apostle Paul, how the Lord patiently endured his injuries that he inflicted to the Lord 
that eventually led him to repentance and change and caused him to sell out, praise God, to his purpose and calling and to become an upright believer. Praise God. Okay. It is the goodness of God that leadeth a man again unto repentance. The last definition that I want to go over as it relates to compunction or repentance, this is so important for to understand this verse in verse number four, it means a change of mind as it appears to one who repents. A change of mind, it also means of a purpose he has formed or of something he has done. And so this definition lets us know that we can form our own purposes. Okay, we form our own purpose. Another word for purpose is motive or reason for doing something. Okay, so repentance involves letting go of my wrong motives and of my reasons for transgressing against God, choosing to change my mind in that arena, okay, choosing to stop doing what is against his revealed will, choosing to change a mind as it appears to one who repents of a purpose he has formed. And so God has a purpose, and then we have purposes that we have to choose to get rid of. But typically we only relinquish our purposes when we are willing to be led to this destination, to the point of destination called repentance, as we behold the riches of his goodness, as we behold his forbearance. And as we behold his long suffering in a way that we don't despise it, where we don't just agree with it uh, with our mouths, but that we park it right there, meditate on it, and fully understand it, and allow it to work in us and on us and lead us to this word called repentance or this destination called repentance in Christ Jesus. Okay. Well, thank you for your time and your ear. I pray that the word of God. Uh, brought clarity, understanding, and edification. This concludes our study, praise God, uh, this Monday. If it be the will of the Lord, we will continue to study uh, this Friday at 6.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. God bless you. Grace and peace be with you in Jesus' name.